Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we begin our brand new series, Reasons. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, Yellow Box. How are you? It is good to be with you. My name is Ian, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you know your school's fight song? You don't worry, I'm not going to make you come up on stage and sing it. That's okay. I, I was homeschooled, so my fight song was something like, My dad is better than your dad, something like that. Um, but I, I thought we'd start with a little bit of a quiz this morning, and it's a fight song quiz. So I'm going to play the fight songs of three nearby universities, and then you just shout out if you can guess the right answer to what fight song this school is for. You ready to play? Yeah. All right, let us begin. Here is our first song. Anyone know it? Just shout it out. One, two, three. There you go. You're awake. That's right. This, of course, is the University of Notre Dame. Okay. Well done, half of you. Uh, Here is our second fight song. See if you can guess it. Any guesses? Anyone? People look real confused right now. If you know it, on the count of three, one, two, three. Okay, that was real divided. This is the University of Illinois. (laughs) People are like, what? I've never heard of that before. Okay. (laughs) Okay, our third and final college university. See if you can guess this fight song. Anyone? Yeah, some of you are waking up to what's happening right now. This, of course, is the fight song to the Chicago Bears, which, I mean, at this point, are pretty much a university anyway, right? So we figured that counted. <laughs> but fight songs, they, they encourage students to take pride in their school, right? That's, that's kind of their goal. But good football teams aren't the only thing that can inspire pride in a school. Another thing that will often inspire a student body is by being a part of a community that's really exclusive. In fact, can, can you guess which is the most exclusive university in the United States? Any guesses? Anyone? We got some Harvard, anyone over here? No, not College of DuPage, good guess. Uh, <laughs> thanks for playing. Um, any other guesses? The most exclusive university in the United States is Stanford University. Stanford in 2016 accepted only 4.7% of all applications. 4.7! And yet, the number of applicants goes up every single year. It's remarkably exclusive, and yet applicants go up every single year. And when when it comes to universities, we kind of value exclusivity, don't we? But, But what about faith. What about Christianity? As Sherry mentioned, we're actually starting a four-week series today called Reasons, and we're going to unpack and dive into some of the toughest questions about faith and spirituality, and the challenging question that we're going to tackle today is this. Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way? And and before we jump in, I want to just first say this. Um, This is a big question, 
And, and what I don't want to do is to try and answer it in just simple platitudes and sanctimonies. We, we want to face this head on, but we also want to recognize that we're probably going to still leave with more questions. There's no easy answers to this question. And our, our purpose today, really, in asking this question is, is kind of twofold. First, if you're in the room and you consider yourself a Christ follower, we, we hope that this encourages you. We, we hope it gives you confidence to know that there are actually solid reasons to believe the things that you believe. You're not stupid for holding the faith that you have. And if you're in the room and you, you consider yourself more of a skeptic, our hope is that you also will be encouraged. Encouraged to know that you aren't stupid if you decide to carefully consider the claims of this faith. Because ultimately, in the end, following Jesus, it isn't about some sort of intellectual certainty. It does require faith. But then again, so does believing anything else. Putting your faith, hope, and trust in anything requires faith. So let, let's first talk about why this statement is so offensive. Why so many of you sat up in your chairs and maybe a few of you feel your blood pressure rising a little bit. You're gripping the chair in front of you. Why is this claim so offensive? First, there are head reasons why I think this claim can offend. It can, it can challenge the way that a lot of us have been influenced to think about life and the way that we live. In, in a lot of ways, truthfully, I think we live in a pretty pluralistic society. It's a society that, that typically suggests that, you know what, there's, there's plenty of paths to God, there's plenty of paths to salvation, eternal life, however you want to end that sentence. A pluralistic society will often say, what's good for you is fine, what's good for me is fine. They're, they're all sort of streams heading to the same ocean. To, to claim that one of them is the way, it can really offend a lot of our senses. Maybe even just hearing me say it now is offending your senses. I think there are also hand reasons that this claim offends. Those are behavioral reasons. This has to do with the actions of Christians. I think often, if we're really honest, when we look at Christians throughout history, many people would conclude that Christians are the ones who fail to love, to serve, to show grace and mercy and reconciliation. They often are the least peaceful I think plenty of people hearing that exclusive claim as Jesus is the way and maybe other exclusive claims like it, many would say, it's actually religion. Religion's the reason that we have so much war and conflict in our world. And you know what? People that believe that, uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> to point to faith in spirituality and religion, um, if you've opened even a single history book, you know that there have been countless atrocities enacted in the name of Christ by Christians throughout history. Unthinkable things. It's no wonder that so many people are offended by a statement like, Jesus is the only way. To be really honest, I think a lot of Christians have probably given people reason to think that. There are also heart reasons. There are heart reasons that the phrase Jesus is the only way offends. And I, I think this might be the hardest one because it's so personal. It's about the implications and the pain over those implications found in this claim. If Jesus is the only way, 
And then what about my grandparents? What about my neighbor? What about that sibling? What about that person that I loved so dearly who wasn't a Christ follower? Now, I know there are probably plenty of Christians that are fully content to simply say, yeah, Jesus is the only way and that's just the way it is. Sort of callously, like the only thing they care about is being right. Which actually reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. Could we use a little levity in the room right now? Yeah, see see if you can remember this clip. So where do you want to eat? Feels like an Arby's night. Arby's, beef and cheese and... Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh, so you're pretty religious. I try. So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. going to hell. That seems about right. Party the putty. Hey, have you heard the one about the guy in hell with the coffee and the donuts? I'm not the... in the mood. I'll have some coffee and a donut. <laughs> what do you care? You don't believe in hell. I know, but he does. So it's more of a relationship problem than the final destination of your soul. Well, relationships are very important to me. Hmm. Maybe you can strike one up with the Prince of Darkness as you burn for all eternity. <laughs> and a slice of devil's food cake. No. Come on. All right, what did I do? David, I'm going to hell. The worst place in the world. It's going to be rough. (laughs) You should be trying to save me. Don't boss me. This is why you're going to hell. I am not going to hell. And if you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell, even though I am not. You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so there, there are lots of reasons why this exclusive claim can offend. And it's not actually just the skeptics either. If, if you're in the room right now and you consider yourself a skeptic, I wholeheartedly hope and pray that you feel comfortable and free to walk out your journey however you need to here. But it's not just skeptics though. And for the Christ followers in the room, I, I want to just address you for a second because I, I think that we need to deal with this question Head on. There was, there was a study done a few years ago by the Pew Research Center, and uh, they, they asked a number of Christians in the United States this question, which religions lead to eternal life? And here's how they responded. Only 29% of American Christians said, only my religion does. 65% of American Christians say other religions can too. So dismissing this claim that Jesus is the only way is apparently not something that only skeptics do. And yet, truthfully, I don't think there's any way around it that Jesus and the apostles were not religious pluralists. They just weren't. For those of us in the room that accept the authority of Scripture, which that's actually what we're talking about next weekend, so you're not going to want to miss it, but if, if you do accept the authority of Scripture... There's an orthodox Christian response to the question, is Jesus the only way? And it emerges when we begin to read scripture clearly. First and foremost, Jesus himself believes that he is the only way. In in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the way. So that's a little on the nose, isn't it? I'm the way, not a way, not one of many ways. I'm the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claims to be the way. The exclusive connection between sinful humanity and God the Father. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If there was another way, wh- why would Jesus go through the pain of crucifixion if to be one of many ways? I think Pastor Louis Giglio puts it brilliantly. He says, I have to believe that Jesus believed that Jesus was the way to salvation. You don't suffer crucifixion's death to be one of many options. You don't. You just don't. We have to at least believe that Jesus believed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Peter, speaking to the religious leaders who condemned Jesus to death, says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Apostle Paul, speaking to a young pastor named Timothy, who he was mentoring, he said this. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And that's just a couple of examples. I could read verse upon verse upon verse that points to this same end. So whether you're like rock solid in your faith this morning, or, or if you're honest, you're, you're feeling a little shaky about it all, the fact that that's stated so clearly I believe has some real implications for us. There are head implications to Jesus saying, I am the only way. And the head implication is around this idea of a decision. At some point, we have to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to trust what Jesus says. At some point, we'll be faced with that fork in the road. I have to either believe and trust or I'm going to deny and walk away. We will be faced with a decision to trust him. So let's, let's talk about pluralism for a second. Because I know that for, for a lot of us, that's a, that's a pretty slippery slope. That's a pretty difficult concept to kind of wrap our brains around. P- pluralism typically rails against anyone or anything that would claim any kind of exclusivity. But I would believe, I would hold, that you have to actually hold exclusive beliefs to be a pluralist. You have to exclusively believe that pluralism is actually True. The truth is that everyone holds exclusive beliefs. Everyone. Even if your belief is none of it matters. That's an exclusive belief that none of that matters. To hold any belief, one must have that their beliefs are right. Author Tim Keller, I think, puts it brilliantly. He says, everybody has a take on spiritual reality which is based on a set of religious assumptions, based on faith. And everybody thinks that their take on spiritual reality is better and other people should adopt it and the world would be a better place. And therefore, everyone has a set of exclusive beliefs. And I really do truly believe that it it is everyone. Everyone has a set of exclusive beliefs. So, So the question I want us to kind of focus in on this morning is... Who are you going to believe? Who or what are you going to trust? And, and not just with your Sunday morning, but with your entire being. Who or what are you going to put your faith in? Now, I know that many people in this room, you, you've, 
you've put your faith in Jesus. You've stepped out and you've made that decision. And there's probably been bumps along the road, but you've said, I'm, I'm all in. But I, I know that there are probably a lot of us who are still working out some, some head, heart, or hand implications. Per- personally, I, I tend to side with, uh, with Pastor Andy Stanley. He says, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. <laughs> Which... I think it's a pretty good rule of thumb. If someone predicts their own death and resurrection and then successfully pulls it off, I'm on your team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with whatever you say. But I, there are so much more, though, than just head implications to Jesus' claim. There are also hands implications. One of the truths really unique to Christianity that, that I think really sets it apart is that we, at the very core, we are saved by grace and grace alone, unmerited, unearned favor, that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's no amount of effort that we can put forth to bridge the gap between us and God. And so Jesus offers forgiveness and opens up this relationship between us and God and us and others, and it's called grace. Grace. Christ followers in the room. If that's at the very center of our narrative, that God loved us when we were unlovable, when he pursued us, when we were foolish and running the other direction, then we should be the most loving, patient, gracious, peaceful people on the planet. We should be the first to forgive, to show mercy, to extend love, to offer forgiveness and grace in every interaction, in every circle, in every sphere, not just with people we like, not just around people that look and talk and think like us. We should be leading the charge as the kindest, lovingest, most gracious, forgiving people the world has ever seen. We follow a rabbi who included the outcasts, the people that everyone else turned their nose up, Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to share a meal with you. I'm, I'm going to your house. I'm having a conversation with you. The fringe people, the people on the edge, Jesus says, yeah, c- come on, come in, in close. He died not just for people that liked him or people that got along with him or people that subscribed to his particular way of thinking or living. He died even for his enemies. I think the very early Christians understood this. They adopted a lifestyle that reflected this knowledge because they knew what it meant to be forgiven. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. In fact, the, the, very, the very first expression of Christianity was actually called followers of the way. That's what they were called. That's how they were identified, followers of the way. Not, not students of the way, not hearers of the way, not just studiers of the way. Follow, it, it just implies this beautiful physicality that they actually got out of their seats. It changed the way they lived their lives. The early church welcomed people into their homes. They shared meals with them. They, they listened to people's needs and concerns and they actually served them. They knew that their belief and their lifestyle was a reflection of the, the ways that God had loved them. In fact, in the fourth century, the Roman Emperor Julian 
was so concerned about the influence of Christianity and the ways that they were loving people that he actually gathered together his officials in panic and said this, uh, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, the impious Galileans, Galileans, a.k.a. Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. So this is someone who's not team Jesus, not team Christianity. He, he gathered together kind of his posse and said, we, we got a problem in our hands. Because they're not just loving people that are like in their tribe or on their team. They're loving everybody. They're, they're serving everybody. They're, they're going out of their comfort zone. They're inviting them into their homes. You, you just did not do that. To the point that the emperor was taking note of it. This, this, is, this isn't some fringe scholar. This is a ruler who saw the spread of Christianity not because of a belief system that they held really tightly to, because of how beautifully they loved everyone they came in contact with. Our scriptures say that they will know we are his. They will know that we are Jesus's, not by our systems of belief and our right theology and doctrine, as good as those things are. It says you'll know that they're mine by how they love each other. That's how you'll know. That'll be the hallmark. Watch their lives. Are they loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, merciful? Julian thought that what made Christianity so influential wasn't what they believed, but the way that they lived. They lived as people who had received grace when they could never earn it on their own, and then lived as if that were true. For our purposes, maybe this morning we could say it this way. We don't work for God's affection, but we certainly work from it. We don't work to earn God's favor, love, and acceptance. That's already given to us freely in Christ Jesus. But when we receive that and we understand the gift that's been given, how does that not change the way that we love and interact with the world? We don't work for his affection, but we certainly work from it. I I sincerely hope that we can begin to rewrite history that we can begin to rewrite the history of our time so that someday people will look back on our lives and say they were the most loving, inclusive, reconciling agents of peace on the planet. That is my prayer for us. That centuries from now, people would look back in 2017 and say they, they changed the world by the radical ways that they loved one another. Jesus' claim to be the way also carries heart implications. It's an exclusive claim, and yet I think it's unmistakably inclusive. He's saying no one can get to the Father on their own, but everyone can come to the Father through Jesus. I I believe this with all my heart, that God's deepest desire is that everyone, and I do mean everyone, Everyone would find their way back to God, the God who loves them and is pursuing them. God longs to be in relationship with you, with your spouse, with your parents, with your children, with your classmates, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, all of them. God, God so deeply longs to be in relationship with them. Jesus came to make a way for everyone to find their way back to him. He didn't come to be a way. 
He didn't come to lead a seminar about the way. He came as the way. I want nothing more than for that to be true of all of us. For us to step out in faith, to, to make a decision, to, to draw a line in the sand and say, I don't, I don't know that I understand all of this yet. I don't know if all this makes sense to me. Guess what? It doesn't me either. But to say, God, God you are the only one worth trusting. What other God sends himself on his behalf so that we can have peace with God and peace with others? It's not only a good decision, it's a life-altering one. Truthfully, I, I, I grew up in a church and uh, I was always kind of skeptical of the whole operation, to be honest. It was like, Way too many tambourines and potlucks for my taste. Um, but I went, and, and it was fine. And as I got a little older, um, I really began to sort of live two lives. I had sort of my Sunday life, and then I had kind of the other days of the week. And I got pretty good at that, at kind of living in these two camps, not really being sold out to either, to be honest. And it's by the grace of God that he brought a really dear friend into my life who, who just sort of called me out. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Pick a side. And I felt in that moment, I don't know how to describe it. It just became so clear to me that God was pursuing me, that he was after me. And I'll be honest, it was, it was kind of terrifying. trusting in Jesus is the best decision that I've ever made hands down it's, it's not been without its potholes its hurdles, its obstacles that there have been seasons that have been outright brutal but because of Jesus I know that my failures don't define me that I don't I don't have to be afraid because I know that he is with me I know that my life has purpose. I get to opt out of the rat race of the treadmill of always trying to be good enough and smart enough and righteous enough to come to Jesus and say, I can't, I can't, I can't do it on my own. I can't clean myself up enough on my own. I know that. So I'm trusting you. If, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He, he is the sum and substance of all of God's promises. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. If, if you want to know what it's like not just to exist, but to be alive, to live in this world, look at Jesus. Who invites us not just to make some decision, but to actually live differently. Who inhabits our souls and gives us a heart of flesh and takes our heart of stone. It calls us to a better, more full way of living. Only Jesus makes that kind of invitation. When you came in this morning, you were handed a program. I want you to take that out right now, actually. Take out your program. In the, in the very far left panel, there's a connection card. I want to invite you to, to fill that out. And there's an area you could check that says, I, I want to follow Jesus. 
It is the prayer of my heart that today if you're feeling something stirring, something tugging, something nudging, that is not a coincidence. That's God. And I wanna, I wanna invite you, I wanna even challenge you. If that's you, check that box. You'll have a chance to turn that in in just a second. And what that box is not saying, it's not saying I figured it all out. Every verse makes sense to me. I've, I've crossed every T, dotted every A. That's not at all what it says. But what it is saying is, Jesus, I want to trust you, not just with my Sunday mornings, not just with parts of my life, but my entire life. Oh, that, that we would have the courage and boldness to say, Jesus, I, I give you all of me to rest fully in that. The the glaring difference, I think, between Jesus and every other religion is this. Every other major world religion says, you need to find your way. You need to make a way to get to God. And Jesus, Jesus says, I have made my way to you. And he's not only made his way to us, he's made a way for us and he invites us to trust him with everything that we have so that we can have peace with God and peace with others to live a life that is truly living let's pray God thank you so much for the gift of one more day of breath in our lungs for loving us with that kind of unthinkable love God, I pray for the people in this room right now that that are feeling that tug, that nudge. God, just comfort them, speak to them in this moment. Give them the courage to fill that card out, to, to check that box, to turn that in. God, we know that you so deeply desire to be in relationship with them. May they not leave this morning without talking to someone, asking for prayer from someone to draw a line in that sand, God. And for all of us, may we be the most love-dispensing, grace-driven, peace-bringing people on the planet. We thank you and we love you and we pray all these things in the beautiful, holy, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.